0: I am Dr. Mark McCullough. I will be reading from the fifth canto of Dante, translated by Mark Musa from Dante's Inferno. This way I went, descending from the first, into the second circle that holds less space, but much more pain, stinging the soul to wailing. There stands Minos grotesquely, and he snarls, Examining the guilty at the entrance, he judges and dispatches, tail and coils. By this I mean that when the evil soul appears before him, it confesses all. And he who is the expert judge of sins sees what place in hell the soul belongs to. The times he wraps his tail around himself tells just how far the sinner must go down. The damned keep crowding up in front of him, They pass along to judgment one by one. They speak, they hear, and then are hurled below. "'Oh, you who come to the place where pain is host,' Minos spoke out when he caught sight of me, putting aside the duties of his office. "'Be careful how you enter, and whom you trust. It is easy to get in, but don't be fooled.' "'And my guide to him, why do you keep on shouting?' Do not attempt to to stop his fated journey. It is so willed there where the power is, for what is willed? That's all you need to know. And now the notes of anguish start to play upon my ears, and now I find myself where sounds on sounds of weeping pounded me. I came to a place where no light shone at all, bellowing like the sea racked by a tempest, when warring winds attack it from both sides. The infernal storm, eternal in its rage, sweeps and drives the spirits with its blast. It whirls them, lashing them with punishment. When they are swept back their place of judgment, then comes the shrieks, laments, and anguish cries. There they blaspheme the power of Almighty God. I learned that to this place of punishment all those who sin in lust have been condemned, those who make reason slave to appetite. And as the wings of starlings in the winter bear them along in widespread crowded flocks, so does that wind propel the evil spirits. Here, then there, and up and down it sweeps them forever without hope to comfort them, hope not of taking rest but of suffering less. And just like cranes in flight chanting their lays, stretching an endless line in their formation— I saw approaching, crying in their laments, spirits carried along by the battling winds. And so I asked, Teacher, tell me what souls are these punished in the sweep of black wind? The first of those whose story you should know, my master wasted no time answering, was Empress over lands of many tongues. Her vicious tastes had so corrupted her, she licensed every form of lust with laws to cleanse the stain of scandal she had spread. She is Sumerius, who legend says was Ninus's wife and successor to his throne. She governed all the land the sultan rules. The next is she who killed herself for love and broke faith with the ashes of Sycorax. And there is Cleopatra, who loved man's lusting. See Helen there? the root of evil woe lasting long years? And see the great Achilles who lost his life to love in final combat. See Paris, Tristan. Then more than a thousand he pointed out to me and named them all, those shades whom love cut off from life on earth. After I heard my teacher call the names of all these knights and ladies of ancient times, pity confused my senses, and I was dazed. I began, poet, "'I would like with all my heart to speak to those two there "'who move together and seem to be so light upon the winds. "'And he, you'll see for yourself when they are closer. "'If you entreat them by their love of theirs "'that carries them along, they will come to you. "'When the winds bend their course in our direction, "'I raised my voice to them. "'O wearied souls, come speak with us, if it be not forbidden.' as doves call by desire to return to their sweet nest, with wings outstretched and poised, float downward through the air, guided by their will. So these two left the flock where Dido is, and came towards us through the malignant air. Such was the tender power of my call. O living creature, gracious and so kind, who make your way here through the dingy air, to visit us who stain the world with blood. If we could claim as friend the King of Kings, we would beseech him that grant you peace, you who show pity for our atrocious plight. Whatever pleases you to hear or speak, we will hear, and we will speak about with you, as long as the wind here where we are is silent. The place where I was born lies on the shore, where the river Poe, with its attendant streams, descends to seek its final resting place. Love, that kindles quick in the gentle heart, Seized this one for the beauty of my body, torn from me. How it happened still offends me. Love that excuses no one loved from loving. Seized me so strongly with the light in him that, as you see, he never leaves my sight. Love led us straight to sudden death together. Cana awaits the one who quenched our lives. These were the words that came from them to us. When those offended souls had told their story, I bowed my head and kept it bowed until the poet said, What are you thinking of? When finally I spoke, I sighed, Alas, what sweet thoughts, and oh, how much desiring brought these two down into this agony. And then I turned to them and tried to speak. I said, Francesca, the torment that you suffer brings painful tears of pity to my eyes. But tell me, in that time of your sweet sighting, how and by what signs did love allow you to recognize your dubious desires? And she to me, there is no greater pain than to remember in our present grief past happiness, as well your teacher knows. But if your great desire to learn the very root of such a love as ours, I shall tell you, but in words of flowing tears. One day we read, to pass the time away, of Lancelot, how he had fallen in love. We were alone, innocent of suspicion. Time and again our eyes were brought together by the book we read, our faces flush and paled. To the moment of one line alone we yielded. It was when we read about those long forward lips now being kissed by a famous lover that this one, who shall never leave my side, then kissed my mouth, and trembled as he did. The book and its author was at Galahot. That day we read no further. And all the while, the one of those two spoke, two spirits spoke these. It is very difficult to discuss what is most important about one of the most important cantos in all of the Divine Comedy. My. One of my personal favorites, and I think it's pretty generic. It's the favorite of most <laughs> readers of of Dante, and presents um, many challenges for the reader of Dante, as Dante fails his uh, fails miserably his first test. So my comments today will be focused uh, on um, reading through the through Canto five rather rather slowly and carefully, and with love. Um, uh, I'll note a few lines whose translations by different translators are significant and then we'll tackle the, um, the circle of lust the character of Minos all the various um, uh, damned souls that are trapped there and finally focus our attention on this very challenging um, description of Paolo and Francesca so two of the lines where translation makes a difference is um, the first I want to note is line 39, which in one sentence encapsulates the sinners, the damned here in the circle of lust. Who are they? Uh, Dante describes them as those who make reason slave to appetite. Those who make reason slave to appetite. That is Muses translation. Hollander's translation reads, those who make reason subject to desire. Mandelbaum's has a different different style. He writes, subjecting reason to the rule of lust. And then finally Sayers translates, translates it very differently as, who make their reason bond thrall under the yoke of their lust." So Musa, those who make reason slave to appetite, which is quite pithy and compartmentalized. Um, You you notice the different words here, appetite, desire, lust, and the relationship between reason and, on the one hand, in the Musa translation, uh, slave to appetite or subject to desire, as Hollander puts it, or as Mandelbaum sort of poetically places it, under the rule of lust, um, which is fascinating, and then Sayers' uh, very biblical translation of these damned, those who bond thrall under the yoke of their lust, is a good description of this the damned here, and is um, is an important reminder that despite the fact that these damned in hell here in the first circle are not as serious as those sinners later on, there's still a departure. From love, there's a departure from an act of love. They are making uh, appetite uh, dominant to to their reason. Very interesting translations, and be interesting to 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 see if you have any that are um, that are different. I didn't check the Longfellow, so maybe someone can do that. Line sixty nine, line sixty nine uh, through seventy two is also uh, has some noticeable differences. Um, And the reason I pointed uh, line 69, and then the line starts at 69, goes through 72, and Musa writes, let me just read this. Um, So this is uh, Virgil pointing out the the various um, thousands of shades, and he says, those shades whom love cut off from life on earth. And, um, it doesn't seem like uh, that crucial of a, of a passage. However, um, as Hollander points out in his uh, footnotes to Canto Five, the line di nostra vita, uh, which, is in, which is the same line as the poem begins with, in, uh, from our life or in our life, uh, which is the first line to the Inferno. So it's a repeating of di nostra vita, from line, the first line, Midway through, the li- through My Life, I Found Myself Lost in a Dark Wood. And so again, Dante repeats this in line 69 in description to these figures who have been uh, damned to the circle here of lust. And the various translations running from uh, Musa, uh, Hollander, Mandelbaum, and Sayers are the following. Whom love cut off from life on earth, whom love had parted from our life, departed from our life because of love. And then finally Sayers, whose life, love, rent, asunder. Um, Sayers is um, very different than the other three, but in uh, the Hollander and in the Mandelbaum, the uh, use of the uh, possessive uh, pronoun, uh, possessive pronoun, the plural of our, our life, so it emphasizes the life that is ours, this life here on earth, whereas the Musa simply uh, uh, sort of excludes our and just says whom life cut off from life, uh, whom love had cut off from life on earth, and again this repeating of the universality of um, of of the sin of lust versus that which is almost in Musa's translation deeply personal, and of course after this this is getting away from translation and more towards the thematic content. Of this pass of of the canto, and why uh, why the circle of lust in Dante's experience here is so challenging for readers is Dante clearly is failing the test to stand up to, um, to, to just to stand strong in the face of of this um, um, this dramatization of lust, and he begins to pity. Um, the word here is pity, which I mentioned in former lectures where um, Dante was allowed to pity, uh, say, the figures in Limbo, which you saw last time, now he is um, forbidden to pity. Pity means to misunderstand. It means to to fail in your understanding. And so Dante becomes very um, confused at this point um, and begins to feel some pity. He says, um, pity confused. This is from the Musa translation. He says, pity confused my senses. And I was dazed. Uh, what does uh, what does Sayers have? Sayers has. Um, um, so let's see here. And I was pierced through with pity, and my head swam. That's nice. And uh, Hollander has. Um, and when I heard the teacher name the ladies and the knights of old, pity overcame me, and I almost lost my senses. So it's this repeating of Dante's own sort of dissociated panicky pitying state that he uh that he uh, experiences in the face of in the face of this um, what he considers to be a kind of tragedy of the loss of all these various uh, characters uh from classical all the way through to modern um, life so um so notice that the the word here throughout canto 5 love is repeated uh, many times, more than any other word, in important word in 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 Canto Five, but also pity shows up as well. Now Minos is a uh, is a is a, a character from classical mythology. Um, Minos uh, is uh, is a character from Virgil's uh, Aeneid, and this is where Dante. Uh, receives this this mess this this uh, figure and um and there minos in the classical style is a is a judge he's actually wise and um he's a he's a judge of um a judge of those who uh, descend into the underworld um so whereas in the classical framework of virgil's he's a judicial and wise character here in Dante, uh, this character is a, a sort of demonic inversion. And he's a demonic inversion in part because he is, instead of using his, um, instead of using his head to judge the sinners, he uses his tail. This is a fascinating uh, image where he, he wraps his tail around the damned and the damned, and, and by wrapping his tail as a kind of measure, he recognizes their sins. Of course he also the damned here it's not just minos sort of doing some judgment of his own rather but the this this the the damned will tell will will express will confess actually the word um here uh, in some of the translations i think in hollander is confession confessa that's the actually the italian word so this is a demonic um inversion of the the confessional the act of confession right that, that this that the damned are there um, and they confess, and they tell all, they confess all. This is interesting in, in relationship to where we're going to end at the end of Canto 5, because um, uh, the question is, uh, does uh, Francesca know uh, what her sin is? Does she, does she recognize um, what she has done? And so we begin with Minos, we begin with this medieval version of a classical judge, demonically inverted Uh, making the damned, his job is sort of to make the damned confess. He sort of plays the demonic priest-like figure. And by the conclusion of the canto, we have this rather ambiguous uh, story, uh, which um, Dante swoons from because he pities. So this confession, this use of the sacrament of confession, is going to be repeated again in purgatory. We won't get ahead of ourselves there, but it's something Dante uses quite often and um, Hollander notes that this is quite ironic because, as Dante notes many times, the damned had been given uh, a chance to confess their sins on earth and to avoid hell, um, but they put, that, put it off. And what is one of the first things they do when they get to hell? Uh, they go to confession, and they confess, and then uh, Minos wraps his tail around them, and then they, uh, they are... Uh, assigned their place. <clears throat> uh, Minos says, and in, in, uh, he says, be careful how you enter and whom you trust. It's easy to get in, but don't be fooled. Um, readers of, of, of Virgil should recognize the echo. Readers of the Bi- the Bible should, should recognize the echo, and the echo is from Virgil, um, the descent to the underworld is easy, but not the return. And then from the Bible, this, um, the saying of Minos is an echo of Matthew seven thirteen. Broad is the way that leads to, uh, perdition. Many of you have probably heard of the, how famous this, you know, it's easy to go down, but it's hard to come back. Um, and Minos repeats this line. Um, don't be fooled. He says, don't be fooled. Um, you know, on the one hand, Minos seems to be a a lot nicer than some of the other characters we're going to meet in hell. But on the other notice that when he addresses uh, Dante, he says, uh, be careful who you trust. And he's directly speaking to Virgil. (laughs) It's like, um, and you know, Virgil, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Virgil seems to take this personally and says, yeah, shut up. (laughs) It's like shut your trap. You know, you're, you're, you don't have anything to do uh, with this, with this journey here now. Um, so one wonders why Virgil responds so um, so almost out of turn to Minos, who doesn't seem to be saying anything insulting. But you got to read beneath the lines there. Last lecture I spoke about the contrapasso, and the contrapasso is the the, the way in which the punishment fits the the sinning, and the contrapasso in Canto Five. Uh, begins uh, with, after the line, we looked at the different translations where uh, those who make reason slave to appetite, which is line starting at line 40, which is in this great um, uh, epic simile. And as the wings of starlings in the winter bear them along in widespread crooked, crowded flocks, so does that wind propel the evil spirits. Now here, now there, and up and down, it drives them with never any hope to comfort them. Hope not of rest, but even of suffering less. Um, it's an amazing section. Uh, what is the contrapasso of lust? Contrapasso of lust is you gave your, you gave your, um, you gave yourself up to lust. You gave yourself up to desire, to appetite. You placed your reason, your humanness, under this, under the rule of lust, and now in hell you are pushed by the wind to and fro just as birds are there's lots of bird imagery throughout canto five here we are with the starlings then with the cranes and then later with the pigeons uh and so these three or and there might even be more than that of bird imagery um where sure it's lovely birds are lovely and uh, we think of them as having some direction, but just imagine a bird sort of flying on the wind. They depend on the wind. And if you've ever looked up into the sky and seen like a hawk, they're just sort of waiting there and being pushed by, uh, by the wind to and fro, despite the fact that they may have an, an imposing uh, presence, an imposing image. So too uh, are all of these uh, figures who are caught in, in this circle of, of lust. Um, pushed to and fro and Dante even notes that they don't have hope at all to comfort them and he notes that the co- that the hope that they might have is the hope of um, less or diminished suffering, not certainly not the hope of comfort that 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 hope is gone. that hope is gone. Ho- any hope of escape, any hope of uh, leaving the world, this world or this, on a world it's this state of um, damnation behind. So Dante is very open to uh, notice that hope and it's it's actually quite interesting because the hope here is certainly not a Christian hope it's like a little H hope just like you know maybe we can just learn how to tolerate uh, this wind and get a little bit of comfort here or there no there's no comfort at all and in fact we're going to be told later that at the end of time when the the when when sort of celestial, Not celestial time, but rather just sort of chronometrics, you know, earth time, time of of the natural world ends uh, and uh, and, and purgatory uh, concludes. And there's the final judgment that hell will close itself into perfect and even more perfect and even more incremental suffering. So horrifying stuff, no diminishment of pain, no hope of diminishment of pain. And the contrapasso for these sinners is um, being pushed there and everywhere else. And remember, the contrapasso is also—it's <clears throat> also an image, not just of the the damned in hell, but it's an image of actually the sin itself. Right? This is what desire and lust do to us—they push us around. They and they they after after a long time of this kind of um, you know giving ourselves over to our appetite there's despair there's a kind of despair of our direction um contrast this with the idea of the root later uh, francesca will say the root of our of our suffering is the following and i uh almost as if to say that there is a Uh, a way in which those who give themselves over to appetite do not have roots. They don't have any kind of groundedness whatsoever. They cannot be grounded. Um, and the wind is a, is a perfect, uh, metaphor here. And, um, um, you know, it doesn't sound all that painful, honestly, uh, to be, uh, pushed here and there by the wind, but it, but it's a tremendous picture of, um, of our lives, our lives now. Um, if we give ourselves over to, um, give ourselves over to our appetites. I have written in the margins of my music translation uh, the restlessness of what Saint Augustine called the unquiet heart, and once sin and punishment. So, um, as I noted in my first lecture, Saint Augustine is the most important sort of uh, model for Dante's Inferno and his description of the various sins and the experience thereof, so too is uh, this, this uh, recapitulation of, Don, of, of Augustine's idea of restlessness. So the sinners themselves are restless. So at line 71, to make a, a transition um, from the contrapasso and the general portrayal of the lustful, we get um, the line from uh, ladies and knights. And so he Dante looks out on all of these figures, and um, he sees how all of these figures, all of these ladies and knights, um, are 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 shoved into the circle. And it's, an, it's it's a, an odd line to call uh, you know classical medieval figures uh, ladies and knights. Certainly, you know Cleopatra doesn't doesn't necessarily fit that kind of you know chivalric medieval uh, uh, phrase. And so Dante is doing something really interesting here. He's sort of shrinking the classical and contemporary into one group. And this is another example of groupings, um, which we saw in Canto 4, the limbo. Um, We get Sumerius, uh, who is is an ancient queen, who, because of her lust for her own son, and wanted to have sex with him, decided that, Incest would be a law for the city, so she makes incest into law. The character of Dido, who uh, kills herself for Aeneas. Some argue that Dido ought to be in the wood of suicides that we see in Cantos 11 and 12. Um, But here Dido is, and and it's clear that Dante thought of Dido not as someone who killed themselves out of pride, but someone who kills herself out of, of love. So, Sumerius, Dido, Cleopatra, who, you know, had a relationship with Caesar and uh, Marcus Antony and and attempted with Octavius. And so those are sort of the classical representations or rather the ancient and classical representations of the ladies and knights of lust. Um, And then uh, Dante will then move on to more uh, of these classical images, uh, or rather figures, Helen, Helen of Troy and Achilles and, um, and then and then Paris, and then he'll mention Tristan and Isolde from the medieval uh, romance, and then he'll finish the passage off with Paolo and Francesca. Let's re- just return to Helen and Achilles in Paris for a moment. This is a very important point for students of literature, is that Dante does not read um, Homer uh, translated from the Greek. All of his understanding of Homer comes from the Romans, and it comes from, you know, Virgil, and it comes from other writers uh, lesser known of his time. He did not know Achille, the Achilles that we know. Um, he thinks of Achilles, right? I mean, if, if I were to ask you, uh, hey, why don't you uh, put Achilles in hell somewhere um, after having read the Iliad? Um, I think the last place you might put him is in lust uh, or in appetite. You'd certainly would put him, at least for beginners, into, into the circle of violence. Uh, most definitely. Uh, but, but Dante didn't know the Achilles of great violence. He knew the Achilles as the warrior lover. And the story that he knows best is Achilles being um, betrayed uh, to enter into the temple in order to meet up with, I think it's one of, um, geez, I'm going to embarrass myself. I think it's one of Priam's daughters here that he goes to meet uh, to, to have a, a clandestine relationship with. And Achilles is um, killed by Paris, who is waiting for him there, and he kills him with an arrow. Paris does, um, I believe, in his, uh, you know, what we consider to be the Achilles' heel. Um, so Achilles is not the representation of anger, but he's the of the warrior lover, and that's why he's here in the circle. Helen, you can also understand, but again, Dante did not read uh, the Iliad, he did not read the Odyssey, he just knows what he has. And, um... This is uh, I, I don't. This just blows my mind that, that that you know we have available to us some of the some of the works of Homer that Dante didn't have, and yet uh, not. This is not a good example of <laughs> of this here, but yet in many uh, w- which we'll see in Ulysses later on in Canto twenty seven, we'll see that somehow he intuits as the Homeric uh, without even having read Homer. And again, he ends off this section with Tristan uh, of Tristan and he's older, bringing us right up to date. Really Tristan is the only appropriate figure for ladies and knights. Uh, he mentions in 71, um, which is his contemporary uh, conclusion is contemporary figures. Dante himself was greatly um, influenced by uh, medieval uh, ladies and knights and these stories of chivalry. And, um, and we'll see more of this with Francesca and Paolo. Um, but Tristan is there, and uh, and the rest of the classical are kind of shrunk down into this category, um, which I find very fascinating uh, myself. And the reason I find this fascinating is because um, there are over, he says, over a thousand names that are mentioned by Virgil here. Um, and uh, he's just overwhelmed by uh, all of these figures, almost as if he's pointing back to the, the line... Um, earlier in The Inferno, where he says, you know, that death had undone so many, that he sees so many dying those leaves. And he has the same kind of experience here. I do believe this has something to do with his pity and the feeling of his own pity here, that he's pitying these figures. These figures mean quite a bit to him. And if we think of St. Augustine in the context of Dante, St. Augustine too had a tremendous love of romantic literature, including Dido. There's the whole section of, the confession where Augustine is saying, well, I should have been reading, um, philosophy. I was really reading, you know, Dido and I was crying for Dido. So, um, so there's a real weakness or at least a, a, a a perceived weakness on Dante's part of, of being sort of manipulated and seduced by stories of romance. And this, we're going to see even more strong, strongly in the challenging, uh, story of Francesca to Dante, and um, that will be the second part of my lecture, so I um, hope uh, hopefully you'll listen to that as well and bring uh, several um, uh, points of, 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 of questions or issues to our discussion together. Looking forward to it. Words, the other wept in such a way that pity blurred my senses. I swooned as though to die and fell to hell's floor as a body dead falls.